0: Welcome into to a football weekend recap edition of the five reasons podcast we know you are coming to our podcast at least in part because there'll be coverage of Jimmy Butler and his potential trade to the Miami Heat, but we kind of thought that this stuff can change overnight. I mean, there have been major news stories that have happened at four o'clock in the morning, including in this off season. So that is very fluid. We'll react once it happens. And obviously we have coverage from Miami Heat media day. Do follow us on social though, because we have plenty of coverage there at five reasons, sports on Twitter at Miami heat beat on Twitter as well. We've been doing some joint coverage between us here at five reasons and Miami Heat be part of us here at the Five Reasons Sports Network. We'll be all over media day and obviously reacting to anything that happens with the Jimmy Butler trade. But want to get started, Ethan, with looking back on the football weekend. We'll get to the University of Miami changing quarterback later on in the podcast. Want to start with the Dolphins winning today by a score of 28-20 to over the Oakland Raiders. And now 3-0, and which is just absolutely incredible to say, and so many big plays, so many big contributors in the game. We're going to get to some of them here over the course of our five parts covering the Dolphins. Want to start, though, with part number one, and it was really the entertainment, the big plays on display from an offensive standpoint, the social media plays that go viral, Albert Wilson going for a long touchdown, with Albert Wilson throwing a long touchdown, with a a pair of end arounds, sort of receiver sweeps that end up working out, and getting Ryan Tannehill (laughs) passing yards he might not have deserved, but I think it's something that we talked about in the build-up to the season and as the season has gotten started here in the early stages, and that is the potential for those newcomers of the Miami Dolphins for the replaced-by-committee approach that the Dolphins took to their offense. And just you just see an overall amount of team speed and playmaking that has not been around the Dolphins for a long time, and I think has really added a real sense of dynamism to an offense that has sorely lacked it for so long.
2: And I think that's what we saw. And look, I, I just don't know. Let's just be honest. I don't know that Jarvis Landry makes these plays, right? Like, I mean, it, we talked about the touchdown to Albert Wilson last week in space. That's a quickness play. Um, today, that's just a flat-out speed play, a couple of them. And that just wasn't Jarvis's forte. So I think what you have to say right now, and to be honest, Chris, we said it. Our guys at Three Yards Per Carry said it. The Dolphins knew what they were doing this offseason. Um, they knew what they had and they knew what they didn't have. And what they didn't have enough of on offense or on defense was team speed. And now we take a look at the guys that they've given up, the guys that they let go. Obviously, a couple of linemen in there in Pouncy and Sue, but also look at Ajayi and look at Landry. And, and those guys were not breaking anything, right? I mean, Ajayi on occasion, but that was not his forte either. Now you have guys who can actually break something and I just haven't seen a lot that Albert Wilson's done so far that necessarily Landry would have given you. And so you look at the targets. To me, this is the big thing. So the first two weeks of the season last year, the Dolphins targeted Jarvis Landry 26 times in the first two weeks of the season. They scored okay a total of 29 points now. Look, uh, you know, we can talk about there were other reasons. There are other
0: mitigating factors there. There
2: there, there, there were other mitigating factors, including a quarterback who should have been smoking a cigarette. But look, (laughs) uh, the the, the reality is uh, that they were targeting one guy without much production, really, uh, in terms of yardage. And now you look at the targets. First two weeks of the season, they had four different receivers with at least eight targets, between eight and 11 targets. And they have five Uh, different receivers with at least six catches. Right. And then today... They had, and they didn't have the ball that much, okay? Only 18 catches total. Okay. And, and we we'll talk about the time of possession here in a second. But if you look at the targets that they had today, they had Albert Wilson had two targets, okay? Three for Grant, three for Amendola, three for Parker, three for Gasicki, who hadn't gotten involved previous to this, mm-hmm. four for Kenyon Drake, five for Kenny Stills. That's the kind of distribution you can do something when they had one for AJ Derby before he went out of the game getting hurt. But you're talking about eight different guys with catches. All of those guys, except Derby had at least two targets. All of them, but Derby and Wilson had at least three targets. That's the kind of variety you want from an Adam Gase offense. And that's the kind of speed that you want because The guys that had the most yardage today, Wilson, Grant, and Stills, can all fly. 74 yards, 70 yards, and 61 yards, and a lot of those yards, well, not the Stills touchdown catch, which is an absolutely beautiful throw and a beautiful catch, but a lot of the other yards came after the catch, and that's not something that you were getting here consistently for the Dolphins. So they've just improved their team speed, particularly on offense to such a degree that they can make the sudden play. And what the sudden play does is allow you to overcome playing like crap. And that's basically what happened today because they did not play well in the first half. They were dominated in the first half. They basically were able to get off the field at 10-7 even though they didn't convert at the end of the, the half because they had a goal line stand and they had one beautiful throw from Tannehill to Stills. But other than that they should have been down 10 points, 14 points 17 points at the half. They were close enough late to make the big plays matter, but the big plays are what ultimately mattered and that's something the Dolphins have not had in recent seasons.
0: And those big plays have come in bunches and and like you said, it's not something that they've had really in such a long time. The ability to where if you are behind, you can come back. You can lean on these massive plays that have happened now every week. Now in week two, it was mainly turnovers. There weren't these kind of deep throws downfield, though there was nearly when Albert Wilson was open, but Danielle missed him. But with stills with the kickoff return in week one today with Wilson with Grant you have these massive plays and also the touchdown to stills let's give him credit because I almost feel like he'll end up being the third receiving target that sort of talked about in this conversation he was obviously hit for the touchdown that nearly got him and a cameraman killed uh and then there was another throw that Tannehill missed where he was open in the end zone from about 25 yards out and That was another one that he that he was it was right before halftime that he could have had a second touchdown on the day again leading the NFL over a period of three years on touchdowns on throws 20 or more yards in the air and he's the third guy they were talking about just in making big plays. I mean Albert Wilson has been a real revelation and that's one that I feel like a lot of Dolphins fans are curious about a guy who Kansas City is discarding. We we were actually we were talking about it on the other side of the ball that the Dolphins' defenses look good with William Hayes and Robert Quinn, whom the Rams discarded. You think about the fact that this Chiefs offense is absolutely ridiculous, scoring 35 points a week with out Albert Wilson who's now a major dynamic target for the Dolphins so these kind of super impressive units are doing it without guys that are contributing well to other teams just sort of shows that surplus of talent these teams have been able to manufacture but Wilson and Jakeem Grant are just such threats and you have to say from Jakeem Grant's point of view he's someone that a lot of fans doubted I think both of those guys are are, are, are guys that fans doubted people were questioning the Albert Wilson signing why are, are the Dolphins taking on a guy that was the third or fourth target for Kansas City that they didn't want. And then with Jakeem Grant, it's, he's so small, and is he a one-trick pony, and can he really do much? And for me, the thing that's been most impressive about his long touchdowns, even when you go back to the game last year against Kansas City, that Jakeem Grant, he basically took a receiver screen, broke two tackles, and, and went to the end zone. A guy that size breaking tackles and not like you know using a stiff arm when he's already quicker than them anyway. No, running through them and Jakeem Grant probably should have been tackled at the ten yard line on his on his reception. And he still manages to score. Getting two touchdowns on the day is absolutely incredible. And like you said, overcomes what I thought was a pretty turgid first half that the Raiders, you'd have to say pretty well blew based off the fact that they were fourth down and goal from the one that they kicked a field goal after getting inside the 10 yard line, Derek Carr threw a red zone interception. They left a lot of points on the field, but that gives the dolphins the opportunity and they more than take it. And, Uh, Getting to point number two here, one of the reasons that they can take it is because Adam Gase is dialing up some creative stuff, man. And you've seen it through these first three weeks of the season. The handoff to Gore that leads to a pitch that leads to a throw from Albert Wilson is super creative and feels like something that you wouldn't imagine could work. But Adam Gase said today, that, and Jakeem Grant said after the game as well, that they've been trying it a lot in practice, and it works a lot. And Adam Gates said he kind of, you know, has that in place from uh, his old days with Mike Martz, and Mike Martz has a lot of those ideas, but um, it's incredible the creativity on those play calls, and again, up against a backdrop where they were so turgid in the first half, and it seemed like a complete lack of creativity from Adam Gates. so he kind of shows both sides of his personality, and if not for those play calls, we haven't really gotten to see... Th- this dolphins receiving group do all that they can and it shows what he talks about where he says that th- he has a package for all these different receivers and all these different ways to utilize their skill sets
2: yeah no doubt and, and i you know people get frustrated at, at the short throws there was one earlier in the game to Devontae parker and a third and long and didn't pick up the necessary yardage and everybody's like oh here we go again and i do think there's some of that i think there's also some frustration still with with Gace about some of the run calls I, I feel like they're less creative with the run calls and the past calls at this stage. I mean, at a certain point, it was just clear you were not going to work the middle of the Raiders defense, and I would have liked to have seen them get out on some pitches and some things like that, but they did set things up for later in the game. And when you think about having the trick plays in there, they had the trick plays in there, even though, as I said, they didn't run a lot of plays period. I mean, they just, they just didn't, they weren't able to establish much. They weren't able to stay on the field uh, very much in their first four possessions. And, you know, they looked better in the no huddle towards the end of the first half than they had earlier when they were kind of huddling and and walking it up. So I I thought in general, um, you know, the idea that he would, sort of, let's just be honest, have the balls to go with a trick play in that particular situation was promising. Um, Now you say you don't want to have to rely on them. You certainly don't. But it does show, you know, to me what trick plays show is, you know, A, a belief in the coach because the players have to buy into it. And two, an attention to detail. And so I think what you see now is that Gase has talked a lot about wanting his guys. And I know, again, frustration from Dolphin fans about some of those moves. Why do you dump Jay Ajayi for a fourth round pick to turn it over to Kenyon Drake? You know, why do you not? And then, and then he goes and then
0: Jay Ajayi goes and wins the Super Bowl, right? Like, right, right. He's meant to and be this punishment. The,
2: he, right, he won the Super Bowl, but a lot of guys would have won the Super Bowl along for the ride there. You could have plugged sure. in a ton of backs in Philadelphia and that would have happened. I don't think Jay Ajayi just makes was it look a
0: little bit worse.
2: It does, but then you look at, at some of the players that they decided to keep that they've banked on. Like, he banked on Kenny Stills. He's believed on Kenny in Kenny Stills from the very beginning. Uh, that has paid off. He's believed in Kenyon Drake. We haven't seen the ex, sort of the big plays out of the run game from him yet, but I still think that those are coming. But the trick plays, again, that requires attention to detail, requires belief, uh, and it requires a lot of times speed because what you need is a guy to make someone pay for reading something incorrectly if only for a split second and that's what they managed to get out of this game and so you know as we we, we talk here we haven't really talked very much about Ryan Tannehill at all because they, you really haven't needed to and this has kind of been my theory on Tannehill all along if you have the right infrastructure around him you can have an effective football team and we're looking at today and his numbers which were were solid again I mean but I mean, you're going to have a caveat about this, Chris, because <laughs> a lot of his numbers, a lot of his numbers were actually someone else's numbers uh, gaining yards after the catch or actually, you
0: know, they're, making they're, it they're well. running plays. Right. I mean, he's are right. He basically got 90 yards. So the Albert Wilson touchdown was 74 and Jakeem Grants was 19. And so that's 93 yards of offense that's basically a running play it's a pitch it's yes. it's an end around that he just hands but it, because it's going forward it counts as a pass and actually uh, Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post asked him after the game are you aware that those count for you and he goes I, is that a question of course I know that that counts for me <laughs> I mean my right. numbers look great because of that but he's got two touchdowns and 93 yards of offense that are based off of running plays essentially
2: yeah, no doubt. And you know, and then you add to the Albert Wilson's 52-yard throw and you're 332 yards passing on 18 of 24. Ryan alone was 17 to 23 for 289 three touchdowns and a 155 quarterback rating, <laughs> uh, which is pretty close <laughs> to perfect. I mean, 158.3 is the number. He was at 155.3. I don't think anybody would look looked at that game and said Marino. Um mm-hmm. you know, but but again, he got the ball to his playmakers and his playmakers made plays and you're averaging 12 six yards per completion uh, excuse me, per attempt, uh, which is ridiculous. That's a tremendous number. And again, this is why uh, statistics sometimes lie, right? Because I, I think you come out of the first three games saying Ryan Tannehill has been good enough. I don't think mm-hmm. you say Ryan Tannehill has been tearing up the league, but when you start to look at the numbers and I don't know if this has been updated yet, but if you look at quarterback rating numbers, I would assume Ryan is near the top of the league right now. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it is. Let's see if it is actually updated because sometimes they don't do it, do it right away. But, uh, but he's got to be pretty damn close. I mean, you're talking about he's thrown two picks, right? I mean, coming into this game, Ryan Fitzpatrick was at 151.5. That seems unsustainable. Uh, (laughs) I don't,
0: uh, yeah, no, on the ESPN page, they haven't updated yet. I'll see if I'll see elsewhere. Uh, in the, if uh, in, in the universe if, if they've updated it. But, yeah, I mean, and I would say, I, I think I might be slightly un- underrating his performance today, Tannehill, just because of how poor the first half was. That, that first half, let, it, it just leaves such a taste in my mouth that even against the Jets, uh, Jets last week, I think some, some, I was talking to Omar Kelly today, It's like, well, you, I think you expect too much, you want all these big plays, and it's like, well... They scored 14 points off turnovers. Mm-hmm. And today, they, you know, the Raiders could have just as easily been out of sight based strictly off the fact that the Dolphins' defense was on the field for so damn long. And the Dolphins' offense did basically nothing in the first half, again, until fairly late in the second quarter when they moved the ball down the field pretty well. But first quarter seemed to be... Uh, and it's just an inability for the Dolphins to get going. And it kind of takes them, and it's always short passes and running plays that tend to go nowhere and bubble screens and all this stuff that I think a lot of fans hate, particularly on third down and nine. You're throwing it a yard ahead of the line of scrimmage. That stuff all seems to happen in the first quarter. And then and it's almost like Adam Gase dusts off the, all right, now here's the real portion of our playbook. And it's like, well, why don't you start that way? Why don't you be aggressive <laughs> right. from the beginning and, and and allow your receivers to do that from the beginning of the game? I think they're kind of hoping that one of those bubble screens turns into a 70-yard touchdown instead of a little bit more of the of the gadget stuff, but that's just kind of the way that it's broken down. Do but I think, but, yeah, I, but I think, Chris, before we go on, I mean, I think
2: part of the purpose of the bubble screens, and I know they drive people crazy, but part of it is they're trying to suck the defense up a little bit. Sure. I, I, I I do think, you know, when you look at having that kind of a play, that kind of, a you know, sort of a, a deep ball where somebody's got to get clean deep, I mean, you want to have the safety thinking, about the possibility of a bubble screen, even if it's not what you're doing. Now, look, a lot of them do drive me crazy, too, particularly when you're talking about third and long and you're expecting a guy to pick up yardage. I mean, I would love to see, and I know they have the metric for this, but I should look back, you know, what the actual air yards were to Landry last season because, uh, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, they were all laterals, basically. I mean, he, you, were not, <laughs> you were not throwing to him down the field at all, and to his credit, he would break a tackle or two, to get you six when you needed seven. But again, that's not going to do much for his average and it's not going to do ultimately much for your team. So I I just think, I think some of this is a plan um, but I think some of it is just desperation. I I think, you know, he starts a, a game trying to create some things, you know, in normal ways. And let's be honest, the dolphins couldn't do it today. They just couldn't do it. Like, I mean, they were getting nothing on the ground. Neither of their backs were effective. Uh, You know, Parker had the catch, as I mentioned, that was short. They didn't get Gasicki involved until the second half. I mean, they had the one strike. The one strike to Stills, other than that, really didn't accomplish anything. So I think you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, what can we do? And so I think, again, part of it is a setup, but part of it is just this is what may work now. Let's try it. What do we have to lose?
0: NFL.com has updated uh, statistics. This is before uh, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford finish out the Sunday night game. We're taping it uh, during the Sunday night game. And uh, right now... Top 10 in the NFL amongst quarterbacks that obviously have a requisite number of throws. Albert Wilson is actually joint top of the uh, of the um, uh, <laughs> quarterback rating statistics on his one completion for 52 yards and a touchdown today. But uh, amongst quarterbacks that have played, it's Fitzpatrick 1, Mahomes 2, Breeze 3, and Ryan Tannehill 4 in quarterback mm-hmm. rating. Through three games, he is at 121.8. And he's also among those uh, among the top ten, by far the lowest in terms of passing attempts uh, on just 24.7 per game. Another game today with a low number of attempts, a bit surprising. Now the last two games because of balance. Today was because the offense didn't have very many offensive plays. That poor right. defense looked like a mash unit. And I want to get to that defense because I would say right now the standout contributor, uh, I would say, well, and we'll get to the absence of who for me has been the standout contributor. I feel like he contributed more today in not playing in terms of really demonstrating his value uh, than the players that did. But let's start first with Xavier Howard, another massive pair of interceptions And it really does seem... And we were all week long in our Five Reasons group chat chat trying to come up with a nickname for Xavier Howard, and we came up with Exile, uh, which I thought was pretty damn clever. And it really does seem... Like, if t- like throw at Xavier Howard at your peril, because he can generate turnovers. If not, he's blanketing your receivers. He did an incredible job today, and obviously it comes up with another massive play. We talked about the red zone struggles on those three possessions. One is, ends on fourth and goal at the one. Uh, one ends in a turnover, and the other results in a field goal. That's the difference in the game, and that turnover was at a point where the Raiders went on another long drive, and it felt like the Dolphins were going to really struggle to slow them down, particularly on the ground, and you get the turnover when you most needed it, and it sets up the Albert Wilson winner.
2: Yeah, you look at Amari Cooper's targets today, and we can talk about what Jordy Nelson did, and I think that had more to do with Rashad Jones' absence, who's who you're mentioning sure. there, than anything else. But if you look at what their number one receiver is, Amari Cooper. And Amari Cooper today had five targets, he had two catches, and he had 17 yards. And yep. Sounds about right. And that's what Xavier Howard has been doing to opposing receivers. And he has been doing this now going back, I would say about seven or eight games going back to last season. And what we have to understand here is how quickly the narrative has changed on him because mm-hmm. about halfway through the season, he looked like a bust and hundred percent. Right. And now you have people talking about him being their best second round pick like in history. Now I would, I would I would pump the brakes a little bit. Um, They drafted, (laughs) they drafted Sertan and Madison in the second round. And that worked out pretty, pretty well. They drafted Keith Sims in the second round, going back to the Shula era. He gave him 10 years of pretty close to pro ball play at left guard. I mean, they've, they've had some pretty awful second round picks. I actually documented this at dolphin Maven. I mean, they had, they've had some dreadful, dreadful second round picks. I mean, Daniel Thomas, they traded up to get in the second round. Um, Obviously Pat white, comes to mind i mean it's it's been you know a mess okay in the second round over the years um but i think when you look at you know what he's contributing right now i mean he's basically taking away a side of the field and that has allowed bobby mccain to get comfortable at the other spot and we've talked a lot and ck uh parrot you know chris kaufman on our uh three yards per carry podcast was talking about this before it happened how good mccain was as a boundary corner last year he wasn't just a slot and that has played out. So you're getting excellent, excellent corner play. But Howard is, is beyond excellent right now. Howard is playing at a pro bowl level. And, you know, if that continues, you know, you saw it on, to me, what was the play of the game, which was the, another interception, by well, there were a lot of plays of the game today. It's hard to distinguish, but the play of the game defensively was the Howard pick. And that came with the two things that, that have been terrific for the Dolphins so far defensively pressure, particularly from the outside. And then, and on that case, it was wake, uh, who, who, uh, you know, it had the hit as Carr was about to throw and then opportunistic coverage from their cornerbacks, uh, and their safeties. And that's what happened on that play. And so they get the pick from Howard there. Uh, that's a critical play in the game after he had a critical play the last week. And yeah, I like exile, man. Like I I know people just want to go with X. (laughs) They want to go with X. We pulled this for three yards per carry. We actually had two different polls to come to the right winner. We couldn't go. Uh, with one of them, which, uh, what was that one? I can't, it was the one that Brian Dawkins has trademarked, Warrior X. We could not go with that because Brian Dawkins had trademarked it. But I like Exile. It's kind of a double meaning uh, here in terms of putting a receiver in Exile and also plays off of Revis Island uh, to have the aisle, their I-S-L-E there at the back end of it. So, you know, that's that's basically, you know, what he is right now. He's a guy who puts a receiver in Exile. And if he can take away the number one receiver on a lot of teams, it changes the way that those. Teams play and look. You look at the Patriots, where we're going to talk about. They don't even have a number one receiver. Like I don't even know yep. who you bother with for them right now because they don't have that kind of player. At least until Edelman comes back, and he's or, not. Even, or until even Josh talking. Gordon finds his form with the team. Correct, uh, but it's not. It's not Chris Hogan. I mean, Chris Hogan is a guy mm-hmm. who gets a lot of yardage playing off of other. Uh, players, But not not necessarily himself. The, the Patriots' number one receiver is tearing it up now for the Rams and Brandon Cook. So yeah. I, I just think what they have in Xavier Howard is rare. Um, he seems to have a great attitude about everything, and he seemed to handle the coaching that he got as his career didn't start the way he wanted it to. Exactly as he should. So I, I mean, we talked about who we're going to be the stars on this team, right? Like who were are going to be the ones who we're going to merge. You guys, we both talked about Kenyon Drake. We talked about Minka. We talked about maybe Gasicki eventually, um, but but clearly, so far, as far as the really young guys, the number one guy has been Xavier Howard,
0: without question. And you'd have to say you, you talk about career arcs and how they don't always go to plan. Um, Cordray Tankersley, I think, is another player like that, inactive today despite the fact that the Dolphins were short a man in the secondary in Rashad Jones. And so you hope that that kind of trajectory uh, works out for him. But in terms of that secondary, I think in the first half, you saw them really struggle to to, to kind of figure out their roles. They did do the thing. So uh, three yards per carry, I thought, did a really good job of breaking down what they could do uh, to, to, to go in and replace... Um, Rashad Jones's role, and they went for the a lot of change route, which was move Minka back and bring in McTire and kind of move some players around at different positions, and I think it really did take them a half to really figure it out. I think McTire made a couple of plays in the second half that led you to believe that he was sort of figuring out his role, and it looked a bit better in the second half. But in the first half, there were a couple of busted coverages that lead to massive gains for Jordy Nelson that uh, certainly the Dolphins who want to clean up. Now, obviously the hope is that Rashad Jones is back, and you don't have to worry about too much in the way of schematics. But I think you saw the overall wholesale changes make a real difference. But man, having a number one corner like that, and, and this is something we talked about ahead of the season. Finding sort of top-of-the-line players. Players that are going to end up being the best of their position. There weren't any going into the season, but a few have emerged. We want to get to point number four, though, and You mentioned these guys earlier, uh, Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki, surprise contributors today. Uh, Devontae Parker uh, going down that sideline and catching a 36-yarder. Mike Kosicki really started to get involved, had a first-down catch in that second half. And again, it's just kind of signs towards positivity. For me, it it sort of signals the continued even distribution of it all. Uh, You look at, uh, uh, for me, going into the day, uh, the receptions for the Miami Dolphins. So in terms of, you know, multiple receptions, Amendola 8, Grant 7, Drake 7, Wilson 6, still 6. And today, it was Wilson 2 Grant 2, Stills 3, Amendola 3, Parker 2, Gesicki 3, Drake 2. Like, you know, basically... Everyone having two or three catches, there are few opportunities. Nobody with more than five targets, and it's even distribution. And it does allow Devontae Parker to get in the game and have a role to play. Again, it's not going to be number one receiver. We're going to look for him, you know, on third down and eight to make the big play. But he absolutely has a role to play. And while I don't think having a role to play is, you know, give him a fifty million dollar extension in the off season for this season it can provide some value in the same with Kasicki.
2: Yeah, it can. And look, we've been down on Devontae Parker and you know, I think it's just frustration at this point sure. because he, he has not become what they expected him to become and then you and I sort of <laughs> dealt with that a little bit when he was frustrated about what he thought his role would be and and kind of kind of lashed out on social media and it, you just get to the point you just want to see it on the field at this stage. I was a little bit surprised that he started. I wasn't surprised that he dressed. I guess I was a little surprised that he started mm-hmm. except I feel like they want to make him feel like he's a part of this thing. And so I guess it doesn't matter. That's the only way for that to change. Right. 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 So, so I think that, you know, I think they wanted him to start, um, you know, so that he felt a part of it, but then other guys got a lot of snaps, but I think what we saw as far as he goes, we'll get to Gasicki in a minute, but I think as far as, you know, with him, you know, the issue to me is, you know, is he taking snaps away from someone else? So if you're playing a lot of three wide, uh, you know, you probably have enough snaps for everybody and, and they typically do play a lot of three and four wide. So if they're doing that, it should be fine, particularly of a situation today where Derby gets hurt. And so Gasicki is basically playing as the only tight end. They're going with one back for the most part. And so, well, not just for the most part, almost exclusively going with one back. And so you can play three and four receivers. So if that's the case and you're not taking Jakeem Grant off the field, I don't have a problem with Devontae Parker getting his snaps. But I think force-feeding the ball to Devontae. There was one situation today where I did think the ball was force-fed to him. I don't think he fought for it, which has been an issue with him. And there was a nice play made by the DB there to knock it away. So all I, well, I would say with Devonte Parker is exactly what you and I have been saying since the beginning. It's fine to have him on the team. You cannot focus on him as a number one or a number two guy at this stage. he kind of is at this stage what he is. if he gives you something this season as part of the collective that 's good. but we should stop thinking of him as a first round pick he 's right. a receiver he 's a receiver on the roster and and that 's really what it is and who
0: has who has a different skill set than some of the other guys, right having size and speed is important but I, I will say and, and and you mentioned it there. you talk about force feeding him and wanting to keep it, keep him as a role uh, having a role in the team. You might say that, that wanting to give him that role is the reason why we didn't see Joaquin Grant, and that's probably the drawback of placing a priority on where a player was drafted and using...
1: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Dot .com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living, available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: That as the basis for their role
2: Yeah, no question. And I want to see more Jakeem Grant. I want to see the ball in Jakeem Grant's hands more often. I know Jakeem had a couple of penalties today. They actually had three, I believe, offensive pass interference Mm -hmm. penalties today. And one of them on the one on stills was kind of bogus. I thought the one on the ones on Grant, one was hard to see. And the other one, they really didn't show. But uh, but yeah, I, I just want to see Jakeem Grant play as much as possible because he gives you that big play. And also now you want to see Wilson and. When Amandola's gotten opportunities, he's done something with it. Tannehill almost killed him again <laughs>
0: over the middle of the field. <laughs> and, Although he ended up hurting the DB more than you heard Amandola.
2: Well, he did right because and the yeah, you know, DB kind of launched himself there uh, backwards. But yeah, I mean they have five receivers who should play and look. Kenny Stills, every time they throw to him down the field, he makes a play. If Tannehill had made a better throw, and I thought Tannehill, you know, made a great adjustment in the pocket, which is not something he always does, to make another deep throw in the end zone to, to Stills and just missed him, or you would have had two touchdowns there because Stills would have come down with that before the ends before the end line. So uh, they have look, they have five viable targets. And as I said, we got to get out of thinking of it as a second round pick. Now, with that said, we turn to Kasiki. And I actually wrote a column for Dolphin Maven, in which I kind of sounded, I think prematurely, the panic alarm here about Kasiki and the idea of, well, the Dolphins have had some pretty crappy second round picks over the years. And so I don't think it's as much about the player in this case um, as the fact that. You know, you had a situation where you've had a bunch of second round picks that have not panned out. And we've been hearing about Kasiki now you know, since he was drafted and then how great he's been in practice. And I saw some of that. I was at a couple of practices. I saw some of that. Other guys reported on that. And then he got no targets basically during the preseason, had one catch. And he had two targets through the first two games, one catch and one throw that was picked off. And so you're just like, okay, when are you going to see it? And today I wouldn't see anything major, but we did see Tannehill look for him a couple times over the middle of the field. He got more playing time because Derby was out. And like I said, all of those things are positive. And so again, I don't think you have to rely on one person, you know, on this particular team. You know, I don't think that we have to talk every week about, well, did this guy have this many catches or that many catches? I have to get out of that habit myself, to be honest, Chris, because I think we do that a lot, you know, and where a guy was drafted and how this should play out. But I think what we've seen so far is that they have enough guys to contribute enough plays that they can be consistently threatening on offense. Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but they can be consistently threatening, and it was good to see that from both of those guys today.
0: Without question, and I think Gasicki, and the other thing, too, that we tend to ignore is, particularly at tight end, but also at receiver, rookies generally don't hit the ground running like what Calvin Ridley did today for Atlanta is very much an outlier and I think it's sort of a signal he's going to be an incredible player like you just don't see rookie pass catchers really hit the ground running like Dallas Goddard today who was kind of the other player that was going to be up for being a second round pick from the Dolphins I believe caught a touchdown for Philadelphia today but I, I think Gasicki will get to that point. I, I think there is also kind of a rush to to sort of say that guy's either going to be a bust or he's not after just a few games of their careers, and we should kind of let it play out a little bit more. So I'm, I'm hoping that Gasicki and Parker uh, can kind of continue what they showed today, which was kind of flashes of it. But I feel like it's going to be hard, unless, like, the Dolphins start throwing 40 times a game for the Dolphins to find all these mouths to feed. Um, but I want to get to the last point here, and I think you saw on both sides of the ball, obviously we talk a, a lot about a bunch of different players and who's most important and who's best and all that, but I think you saw today on both sides of the ball the Dolphins missing pro bowlers and it affecting them. On the offensive line, missing Josh Sitton I think is something that is going to be a real problem. You saw today the Dolphins' flat inability to to move a Raiders defense that is not exactly formidable without Khalil Mack in order to create anything for Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. I think these last two weeks have gone pretty poorly. Uh, last week, it was kind of the pressure getting to Tannehill. Some of that was created by Tannehill, but the offensive line wasn't great. And then this week, unable to move them on the ground. So I think that the, the absence of Josh Sitton is going to be a real storyline for the Dolphins throughout the, the remainder of the season because it kind of takes their offensive line from being good to unremarkable, and mm. I, think, I think that's a real difference. And then defensively, Rashad Jones is a massive piece. And it's one of those things where, you know, because he's a safety and, you know, there's kind of this tendency to win football, you know, no excuses if if you're not playing or, you know, if you're not playing, then it should be next man up and that guy should be able to contribute. Like, it's not always the case. Like, Rashad Jones being out is a big deal and creates a lot of problems for the Dolphins uh, that they have to try and figure out. And I think you saw today how difficult it was for the Dolphins to really figure out what they were going to do in the secondary. It took them a half, and I still don't. I, again, it takes them from being a really good secondary that I think their opponent quarterback rating was, I think, like third in the NFL coming into the day uh, you know, for what they did to Mariota and to Gabbert and to Darnold. And it takes them from being a really good secondary to an unremarkable one that Derek Carr can kind of carve up to the tune of 345 yards and a touchdown pass.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, Rashad Jones, I think has been underrated here for years. And I think it's because in part he's been underrated nationally and, you know, he had to fight to make that first Pro Bowl. I think the thing with Rashad Jones is he's just not a big talker. He wasn't a high draft pick. And so he's never gotten the attention mm-hmm. that say some of the guys in Seattle, whether it's a Chancellor or, sure. or whatever, has gotten. I mean, it's just Or it's even just like
0: not-, not having long hair like Troy Palomalu, like just a distinguishing quality.
2: Yeah, he's just never had any of that.
0: And mm-hmm. so I think what you see
2: from him now is uh, you know, again, it's more from his absence than his presence, although in the first two weeks You know, his presence was pretty good. Uh, I mean, he had, you know, not only, I mean, some plays got forgotten. I mean, he had the two picks, but he also had the play at the end of the half last week. Which, which which
0: some critical. people think is which some people think is the reason why he's hurt.
2: Well, it could be, but it was an absolutely critical play. They won Massive. that game by eight, they won that play by eight points. I mean, if there's a touchdown there by the Jets going into the half, there's a whole other confidence level. They're playing at home. They have a rookie quarterback, and he makes a tackle that not a lot of guys make. And we saw that today because look, Minka missed a couple, um, and McTire missed three or four actually, and he's the guy on the field because Rashad Jones is not because everybody else had to slide down a spot, and so. They do miss him. Um, he, I don't know. You know, we we have this debate: who's their best player? Uh, you know, I, he's in the conversation. Certainly, I think he was the first two weeks. I think there are times it's Wake, there are times it's been Quinn, there are times it's been some of the guys on their offense right now. But but they need him healthy, clearly. And when they didn't have him a couple of years ago for roughly half the season, uh, they clearly missed him. As far as sitting, there's not a ton they can do there. I mean, I you know that was a spot. You know, Larson is somebody who. They thought they could plug and play. Um, he's been better when they've used him at center than used him at guard. Uh, offensive line depth is difficult, man. That, that's tough. I mean, I, you know, the Dolphins have had enough trouble fielding five competent guys over the years, fielding four competent guys over the years. They're not going to field seven, eight, or nine. You know? so, <laughs> so it's it's just it's a tough position to fill, and I just think you're in a pos- spot there where you just have to survive it. They're going to have to be more creative When Ryan gets pressure up the middle, it bothers him. They're going to have to get him out on the run a little bit more. I think they need to throw more, you know, we talk about the the wide receiver flats. They need to throw more swing passes to Drake and to Gore. I, I think get them in moving and in space, but outside of sort of, you know, that corridor there right in the middle, I think would be helpful to them, but it's going to be tough to run up the middle. I, I, you know, Kilbore Kilgore. I'm not Look, I'm not a connoisseur of line play. CK could probably (laughs) give a better idea. It doesn't look to me like he's moving people in the center of the line. Um, Maybe he is. It doesn't appear to me that way. I don't know that Jesse Davis is necessarily. And I I don't know uh, that Larson has been with sitting out. So something to monitor, but, Look, they overcame it. They're 3-0. and It looks like – I think Rashad will probably be back next week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounded like that was – as of Thursday, we were reporting uh, – everybody was reporting. Our guys at the Maven were out there saying – the gay sounded confident he was going to play. So that was kind of a last minute thing, it appears, or something they were trying to hide in the game plan. I, th- I would expect him to be back next week.
0: Now, as we kind of close things out and look ahead here for the Dolphins, they start 3 0, which I can't say it enough because it's absolutely remarkable to me. By the way, uh, my favorite part of the game uh, is still, and we, we didn't mention it in, in all the big plays, the high five between Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson was just highlight of the season and sort of demonstrates a joy and an explosiveness and a level of speed. Like, it all kind of comes together in that one moment where they're just flying in behind the Raiders and they high-five each other. It's just such brilliance. I actually uh, tweeted out a GIF of that, and they have an ear to ear smile, and there's a certain joyousness. Like, I think the character of Joaquin Grant. We had him here on the podcast. We we recommend that you check it out because mm-hmm. I think you get a real sense of who Joaquin Grant is. He's such a joyous, happy dude, and you've seen sort of him demonstrate that personality. It was hilarious today. I was in the interview room after the game and I was being interviewed by Kim Bo Camper on uh, CBS Four Television, and because Kim Bo Camper so much bigger than him, Joaquin Grant actually stood on one of the chairs <laughs> in the media room so that he would actually be taller than Kim camper He's just such a great personality. We talk all the time about getting to know players and personalities and all that stuff, and how sometimes in football they can be anonymous there's some real color and personality on this team that I think uh, could end up being real fun, but I, I want to get to looking ahead here because uh, there is obviously that next game down the road at New England, and right now, as we're taping, they're about to get started in the fourth quarter, and the Lions just scored a big touchdown from Stafford to Marvin Jones. They stopped the Patriots as well, so with 15 minutes left to play, it's Lions 20-pats 10. Now, when you're listening to this, you might have already seen Tom Brady lead a two-touchdown fourth-quarter comeback, but you're seeing some limitations from the Patriots right now. They don't get Edelman back for next week. Now, they might get Josh Gordon back uh, for next week. He was inactive tonight and was kind of a threat to play uh, with a hamstring injury. If he comes back, that's another dynamic. But it seems really right now, like if you stop Gronkowski, you stop this Patriots offense, which obviously you know it further illustrates the need for Rashad Jones to come back. But Tom Brady, on less than 100 passing yards, Through three quarters, it's not like they're getting much done on the ground either. If there's a time to go to Foxborough, it would be right now. Now, it could just as easily, if the Dolphins turn in a first-half offensive performance that they did today or against the Jets, they might be 24-7 down going into the half. So I'm not saying it's going to be an easy game. What I'm saying is is there's an opportunity there. You're going into a game on the road in Foxborough with potentially a two-game lead in the division.
2: You are, and I, you know, I always hesitate here because I, I feel like Belichick takes a couple of weeks to kind of figure out sure. his team, and right. we, we've it's seen that the last in, few years. Yeah, the, the last few years, he he tends to get off to somewhat slower slower starts. I mean, everybody remembers obviously when he went undefeated during the regular season. Certainly didn't happen then, but most seasons, it actually has. But I will say this: um, there are vulnerabilities there, and I think we started to see some of them. Last season, I mean, beyond Brady's age, which at some point has to become a factor here, you know, they're just heavily reliant on Gronk at this stage, um, you know, not having Edelman, but also, you know, not having Brandon Cooks. I think that's been understated a little bit, uh, you know, they had, they only had him for one year, but he helped open things up for guys like Hogan. They don't have Amendola. So that's another guy they don't have. So you're talking about You know, basically three of their core receivers from last year are are not there right now. And Amendola, Edelman, and Cooks, and that's a lot to adjust to. And you're talking about also a defense that has added a lot of young players over the years, but has not established key leadership at certain units uh, in that defense. And you know, and then they also you know, decided to part ways with Malcolm Butler, um, which I know they parted ways with him basically before the Super Bowl last year. It didn't work out so well. Uh, but he, had a, you know, he has not played great for the Titans overall. I was looking at some of his metrics, but he did obviously have the pick against the Dolphins. So there's been adjustment there too. They've lost coordinators again. This happens to them all the time, but there's always an adjustment period. So you're right. If there's a time to catch them, it's now, and you're also going in with a ton of confidence right now because I, I think the Dolphins, you know, believe. And talking to some of our guys who are out there today, they believe they're not really playing that well right now. And, and there, there really wasn't after two and zero oh, this feeling of, you know, oh my God, we're great. That there was kind of this feeling of we got things to clean up. Like they think they're better than this, and you know, that atmosphere will be rough, particularly if the Patriots. You know, again, we're taping this as as they play, but if they if they're one and two. Um, you know, it's going to be rough early, but I will say this about Boston fans because I've experienced this many times covering events up there. If things start to go bad, they start to turn on the team a little bit. And the Patriot fans are not beyond, they've gotten spoiled. They're not beyond turning on that team. And if you can get off to a fast start up there against them, things can get ugly for the Patriots. If they're one and two and you got a 3-0 and team coming up, a team that, you know, typically you've dominated at home over the years. I know not in Miami, but you've dominated at home. This does. This is a ripe situation for the Dolphins to accomplish something. And so, you know, I say, if if not now, when, right? Like, if not now, when? Like, you've got a 3-0 team. You're playing with confidence. Your quarterback is healthy. You're relatively healthy. Now, that's the other thing to look at. Sure. You know, they had some things today, okay? So, you know, we've already talked about Sitton's absence, you know, and Jones' absence. They're going to get Jones back, not Sitton. But you look at the rest of the team. Branch went out. Uh, Derby went out. Uh, He's not as critical to them. Gasicki gets more snaps, Uh, but they lost some bodies today. I mean, Spence will be back after that stupid suspension. Uh, William Hayes, though, after the celebration, we don't know whether or not he's going to be back for sure. So their defensive line depth may be a little bit depleted in that way. Uh, So, and and he's been a big factor for them, I think, playing inside. Stopping the run stopping the run. He's very good at that. I mean, and he's moved inside, he's played outside. So it's just, it, there are, they're dinged up a little bit, Um, but they, I would expect most of those guys to play and they came out. This is the other thing hasn't been talked about enough, Chris. They came out of training camp healthy Yes, and, and that almost never happens and it, it hasn't happened for them in recent years, but that's a huge factor in this start. I mean, they lost sitting, but everybody else they were counting on this season, was good to go for the first and second game of the season. And, and, and that like, is okay,
0: so, not normal. so, like, Rashad Jones, like you said, has a week-to-week injury that you feel like he can come back in week three and obviously will play a big role. But, like, Marquise Gray, who is one of the tight ends, but you feel like you have others – But like you said, it's really Josh Sitton is the only one. And as compared to, like, Tennessee, who you play in week one, you knocked out their quarterback. They're still struggling. They managed to scrape together nine points to win today away from home in Jacksonville. But they lost Taylor Lewan and Delaney Walker in the first game of the season. And those are huge players for them. And so obviously the dolphins right now from a health standpoint now we will certainly keep you know keep looking at that particularly with william hayes cuz he's been dealing with injuries really the entirety of preseason and the regular season as well he's been a real trooper giving it a go but, yeah, I mean, obviously today they faced 74 plays on defense. Like, the, the, the Dolphins offense' biggest failure today was leaving their defense out to dry. 38 minutes and 74 plays on defense in that sun. We were talking about, we were talking about it in the buildup on the pregame show a lot. Well, it's hot, and, you know, obviously the Raiders wouldn't be used to it. And, you know, one of the things I was talking with some family afterwards, and they're like, well, as much as the other team might not be used to it, we've lived here our whole lives and we're not used to it. It's really damn hot outside. And, like, you can practice in it as much as you like. It is still really uncomfortable to play 74 defensive snaps in that heat and humidity. And uh, I think you really saw it start to wear down on the Dolphins. I think both teams were absolutely spent in that fourth quarter and I think the Xavier Howard interception the you know the double reverse to JaKeem Grant uh the the long run by Wilson like those are the big plays you have to make when both teams are exhausted and the Dolphins managed to make them.
2: Yeah, they did. And you know we'll see what happens in New England if if the weather turns a little colder next week. I'm not anticipating it's being too bad here in September but the Dolphins should be able to adjust to that. I I think the biggest uh, props to me when you talk about the heat would be to be the guys on the defensive line because yeah. you know, to lose Spence, to lose Hayes, uh, to basically be rotating five instead of the usual seven and to still be effective, to make some plays where Wake had the pressure, Quinn had some pressures. It's a really good unit. It's a good group that mm-hmm. they have there. Vincent Taylor made some plays yeah. today. I think he's been really good since the start of camp. and. Yep. You're just not hearing about Indominus Sue anymore. You're just not. not. I mean, I and, I, I
0: don't know. Do you know the Dolphins going into the day were third in the NFL in opponent yards per rushing attempt? I was stunned by that. Like they're it's not just and last year they were seventeenth. They're third through two games. I was stunned to find out that it's not just that they're surviving or that they're hanging on, that they're legitimately good at stopping the run. Now today, particularly after Spence went out, I think you saw the Dolphins really struggle to bring down Marshawn Lynch on a consistent basis before he's able to turn three yards into seven. Uh, you know, almost, it seemed like every time. But uh, but in terms of stopping the run, the Dolphins have been excellent.
2: Yeah, they have. And, you know, I, I'm not really sure what Ndamukong Suha has done with the Rams. It seems like things are going pretty well for them overall. But, uh, you know, what's interesting to me is that the Rams have basically handed the Dolphins' two players over the yeah. past two years for their defensive line, and William Hayes and Robert Quinn. Both of those guys have been really effective, and the Rams are still really good. I, I'm and, not and really the, sure the Rams would have the two best defensive tackles in football. <laughs> right. So it's just it's <laughs> sort of strange how that's played out, yeah. but, but they've been terrific. All right. So we'll look ahead to, to the Patriots for next week. We're having a watch party next week at Texas Roadhouse in Miramar. That's on Miramar Parkway, just west of I 75. We'll be out there starting at about 12 o'clock. Obviously, Uh, Big game, people excited about the Dolphins. We'll have some drink specials, we'll have some food specials, and all of the rest, so check us out there. This
0: is the 5 Reasons Sports Network, Miami sports on demand. We now have 13 podcasts in the network, posting roughly 15 times per week, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Plus, become a member of our patron feed, and you'll get even more fresh content. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Balls Cast. It's legitimately dreadful watching the Dolphins, man. Like, is this, <laughs> is it worth it to be a Dolphin fan? Like, this is, this feels terrible. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five Reason Sports on Twitter. Don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. Real quick
2: here, we're not going to devote a ton of time to this mm-hmm. because we've done a bunch of dolphins and we've been chasing heat stuff all day. But but the canes, I'll just give you my general thought and then kind of kind of go to yours. Um, I think we've seen sort of the last of Malik Rozier as a starting quarterback for Miami, unless there's an injury. Uh, it's pretty clear Perry gives them more options. He allows them to open the playbook a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I know things were not perfect. I was a little surprised. I got to be honest. I I turned it off. I was at a function, but I was keeping track of it on the radio and, and kind of on my phone, and then got to a TV. I when it was thirty-one nothing, I was a little surprised that FIU yep. put up seventeen there at the end of the game. Not a big deal for anybody who wasn't betting it over at BetDSI. Use the promo
0: code.
2: <laughs> use the promo code Reason One Hundred One. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that if you look at it overall you know, that was the big thing that happened uh, this weekend is that it was pretty clear that Mark Richt was open to a quarterback change. He was hinting at a quarterback change. I don't believe for a second that this was decided during the game. I, I, I think this was decided long before the game, and I think you're going to see andkozy Perry as, as a starting quarterback going
0: forward. Well, I, I'll push back on that a little because then why start? Then, then why does Malik Rozier start? So if Malik Rozier had taken the Dolph, uh, taken the hurricanes uh, you know up the field on two scoring drives, they go 70 yards, and he's you know playing really well, and you know the hurricanes are up 14. nothing. does then Nikosi Perry come out? Like, I really think it took, again, the Hurricanes getting off to a slow start and the offense being severely limited by Rozier's limited skill set. Like, I, Rozier was two series removed from putting up 49 points on the road at Toledo and shushing the fans, both his own and the opponents. Like, I, I, I genuinely think that this was a result of Mark Rick seeing this series like, all right, I've had enough. I, I know what I have uh, sort of in a, as a backup. I trust Perry now. And I'm gonna throw him out there and see what happens and I was talking with uh, some of the media members today in the press box, uh, looking ahead because the hurricanes are now on a short week. They play on a Thursday night against North Carolina, and there's some questions. well, does Perry start now? And it's like, yeah, like you don't you don't bring in Perry, have him play the entire rest of the game, and then on the Thursday nights, oh, we're going back to Rosier like like you said for me, this is a permanent change to Nikosi Perry. I'm just surprised in the manner in which they went about it. It's kind of like what happened in Cleveland on Thursday night with Baker Mayfield coming in for Tyrod Taylor, which is, well, hang on a second. Did you plan to do this all along, or is it only based off the fact that Tyrod Taylor got hurt, that we finally get to see Baker Mayfield, and now he's the starter? You know, Buffalo, did you need to see Nathan Peterman have a disastrous game against Baltimore? Oh, we should probably throw Josh Allen in there, and then he goes and wins you a game that no one thought they were going to win today in Minnesota. Uh, Arizona throwing in Josh Rosen today, 16 to 14 down in the fourth quarter. Like these random ways in which quarterback changes happen to me are so bizarre because it really does seem like a coach sticking, you know, his, you know, licking his finger, sticking it in the air and seeing which way the wind is blowing. Like I, I just for me, the manner in which these decisions are made, like either Mark Rick believes that Nkosi Perry is better or he doesn't. But two bad series against FIU should not be the reason why you make that change and find like Mark Richt has had public opinion on his side the entire time. They were booing him loudly during the Savannah State game. Like the public sentiment has been on his side to make a change since they went to Evan Sheriff's a year ago. The fan base was cheering that move, even though it mm. even though it ended disastrously. Like the manner in which quarterback changes happen to me in football is so weird, and it's based off of some combination of politics politics and I don't you know I don't hesitancy I don't know what it takes for for coaches to really ultimately end up making the right decision for me Perry's a better player than Rozier and you saw it in that game even as the hurricane struggled in that fourth quarter it seems pretty clear that Perry's a better player
2: I think a lot of times uh you know coaches are the last to sort of decide something like this like the fans will see it pretty clearly Um, other players on the team will see it. And then it's like, all right, let's put the guy in a somewhat favorable position. So sort of make my own decision easier. And I kind of feel like that's what happened with Perry. It's like, all right, let's throw him out there against FIU in a game. We're probably not going to lose. And then let me see what he has. And all right, I'm going to come around to what everybody is saying and what I've sort of been thinking anyway. And I think that is what happens in a lot of these situations. I think both you and I came into the season believing that Perry was going to play at some point, The question was when, the question was whether it would come after a loss, and the question was whether it's sustainable. Okay, so now we know the when. It didn't come after a loss, but it came a couple weeks after a loss where we kind of saw Rosier's limitations, and then they've been in some winnable games since, and so you were able to experiment with it a little bit, whether you got Perry a little bit of time in the one game or you didn't really in the Toledo game, but then you were able to in the FIU game, and so now here we are. And so is it sustainable? Well, yeah, because I think the problem is now, Chris, that – if they went back the other direction, like I see once players know they know. Okay. And I'm not around that team, but just talking to people who are, I just get the sense that people on that team think that Perry has more potential. And if that's the case, if you go to him, he shows you the potential. And then you go back to the other guy out of some kind of obligation. That's when you'd start to lose your team. And and I've seen that happen with the dolphins over the years and you don't want it to happen with the Canes. So I I would expect that this is semi-permanent, I think Rosier will handle it with class. I know he gets a little frustrated about things and searches his name on social media and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, so it's probably going to be uncommon a rough, for college kids. No, but it's probably going to be a rough week for him. Sure. But, I, I, but but look, I, I just think it's a change you need to make. I mean, you have time to build here. You're playing against a North Carolina team that's, that's eminently beatable, but like you mentioned, on a short week. You get an FSU team that is still, even after this weekend, I just don't think is very good,
0: and and then you're building up to Virginia Tech, which had a strange result. You know, yeah, I mean, and that, that's the that's the other thing I want to get to. Obviously, you know, some things in the performance were worth analyzing, but you look at it from a holistic point of view, the Hurricanes might not play another ranked opponent for. Actually, as a matter of fact, right now, uh, I, I didn't I didn't see the AP poll today, but I guess it has uh, Virginia Tech out on account of losing to Old Dominion, who had not won a game all season. And, are, you know, they play in Conference USA. Like, that's not a good program. They are losing to uh, inexplicably playing them away from home. I don't know. I mean, that's one of those, like, Miami playing at Toledo. But, uh, yeah, losing at Old Dominion by two touchdowns. So that moves Virginia Tech out of the top 25. The other opponent you were kind of fearing was BC. And then they went and lost by a significant margin away from home against Purdue. And right now that leaves the only ranked opponent on the Hurricane schedule, number 22 Duke whom you play on November the 3rd, everyone else right now is unranked on the schedule. So even if, I mean, the Hurricanes might end up, you know, winning all all eight of their remaining games. I I don't foresee it uh, unless, you know, obviously that defense ends up playing at all world level, but the rest of their schedule looks soft, man. And there are not teams in the country that are playing a more soft schedule. It really, it, it's, uh, the restricted schedule is based on LSU, and you lost to them. So I don't know how the Hurricanes can ma- can mount a credible argument to go to the college football playoff, even if they win out, and maybe even if they beat Clemson.
2: Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. And and I, they haven't done anything so far that's so impressive that it's blown people away, which right. if you're going to have that kind of a soft schedule, you need to have it. Yeah. But, but look, I, I think there'll be more optimism if Perry's playing. I sure. think there'll be a feeling that the program is turning the right direction. And certainly things look better after lsu all right let's close it out here um because obviously we may have other pods coming this week that people need to get to as well we're monitoring the jimmy butler situation we're gonna have a pod with grant long in the, next in our heat Stories series coming up a little bit later this week he was kind of udonis haslam before udonis haslam we'll be pan- we'll be previewing the panthers season with george richards here before too long or we'll be talking to jackie McMullen about her new book thank you for joining us we'll talk to you soon
1: IETOR.